so, but 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 I think that it's shitty anyway. I mean, it's uh, that's the problem. It's it's the interface that is not conducive to teaching and learning conversations, interactions, and everything. Whereas this Jitsi, it's it's pretty nice. I seem to remember that the blue button did have a feature where students could raise their hand in the class, so you could signify to the lecturer that you were you know you wanted to ask a question or something. Is that right? Do, you, Do I remember? Yeah, that I think correctly? so. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You remember? You remember correctly because I, I, I think that it was. Uh, it is specifically designed for educational purpose. So there are some, a few features, that are interesting. If only worked. Yeah. Okay, Jitsi. I'll have to have a look. Yeah, Jitsi, Jitsi, Jitsi. I don't know. Jitsi. I, c- I can send you the link. I found the and website. It's ah, okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I tried it with a couple of colleagues and for one-to-one conversation, uh, like, like ours, and it's pretty pretty nice, especially the interface. So it, uh, it supports the dual screen feature, like Zoom. So you can have, when you share your screen, you can have your screen on one monitor and the, and the, and the person on the other monitor. So it's pretty pretty nice. Are you threatening that we use it next time? I don't know. I don't know. No, 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 no. No, because Zoom. I mean, the, the, this this uh, cloud recording is very nice. You know, it creates a uh, s- different uh, mm, video uh, files that you can combine them. And uh, no, it's it's. I mean, Zoom is still Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. Well, it's the really, you've never imagined that it would appear in the news so much as it has in the last few months. Absolutely. Have you seen this Zoom bombing? Zoom bombing, yeah, yeah. There are memes, there are memes, idioms, I mean, there are so many interesting things. But do you know about what Zoom bombing is? Yes, I know, and I would like to do it. I think think they've changed some default settings, so... Most of them are not as password not protected. So most of them are not password protected. They are password protected. You have this button called security. So you can lock the meeting room. You can enable the waiting room. You may disable shared screen in order to avoid... Uh, Hardcore pornography during... Uh, yeah, pornography, yeah. D- pornography. During Fortune 500 <laughs> boardroom meetings. Uh, yeah. Or... Um, then. Yeah, you can also re- yeah lessons. you can also remove remove participant and now there is a button so it's pretty pretty usable I would say and okay. uh, no but I think the zoom is uh, zoom is nice so that's it that's the um, that's the immune system working the zoom immune system in this case it has this attack there's a clear vector that's only going to be exposed during times of extreme use. And then identify it, and then zoom stronger than it was before. I think so. No, it might be stronger than before. Yes. Then I don't know all these uh, phishing, phishing uh, things that they claim Zoom enabled. But uh, apart from that, I think that it's a very robust, uh, very robust software. Okay. I mean, it's working. It's working, yeah. and it works very well. It's viable. It's not just working. It's it's. It's a viable solution for, for webinars. I think what was interesting about our discovery of Zoom was during our during the master's program and we were using Big Blue Button 
and we went through Skype. We, I don't think we tried Google Hangouts, funnily enough, but I did use it yesterday, which was bizarre. I didn't know that they still had it, um, and it worked flawlessly, but that seems to have died a death like so many of Google's seemingly good products. Um, but when we found it, it was this, it was this odd thing that was actually working really well. It was this somewhat unknown brand name. I mean, before we were searching for it, we, we hadn't, I, I guess you found it, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, a Latvian colleague that suggested us to use Zoom and he had a, l a, a long list, including Skype for business. At some point we thought, let's go for Skype for business. Uh, but then there were issues. Uh, you couldn't record a session uh, if you were using um, uh, an Apple product. <laughs> so if you're a Mac user, you were you were out of the game. So uh, and then I don't. Yeah, then I think sometime in November or late October, I tried it for the first time and I saw that it was uh, uncomparably better. Yeah, only halfway through. Others. Yeah. So earlier this week or yesterday, the day before, I, I shared with you a little audio clip. Have you heard it yet? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I also have a few, a few notes on my on my notebook, so I'm ready. Every university, every college I know has gone online, and Yale has gone online, and I'm teaching online now. Hmm. And. If you ask professors about this, what do you think of teaching online? I've asked, talked to friends and so on. We, we hate it. How, we hate how it. are you actually doing it? What are the mechanics of it? So, um, so the mechanics are twofold. And this is, this is similar to what a lot of people are doing. For intro psych, which is what I teach, the lecture component of the class has been replaced by online lectures. I already had some up as part of a, a Coursera online system. Mm -hmm. So I just tell my students which ones to take. I refer them to, to some uh, YouTube videos and some other things I've done and ask the lectures. They watch the lectures online. But then we also have, have sections, and we do that by Zoom in small groups. Right, right. And, you know, and so it, it's not the same. It's really not the same. The seminar's not the same. The lectures are not the same. And professors will complain about it, justifiably so. But I can't help but think there are some positive features of this. It's not that bad. For one thing, it's very egalitarian. It's egalitarian at the level that you see everybody's faces at once, exactly the same size. You're not sort of trapped by the structure of a seminar room or the distance of a lecture hall. But it's also egalitarian in that you can take a Yale course and you don't have to be in New Haven, Connecticut. Hmm. You could be anywhere. And, you know, there was a big push for these MOOCs, these massive online courses, many years ago. And I don't think that much came of it. I don't think, no, very few universities shifted to them and so on. But having tasted this, I wonder whether it's going to change the way universities work. I think maybe to the better, to some extent, where more stuff will be made online and more stuff will be available to the 99% of humans who don't get to be, you know, close to a great university or college. There it is. All right. This was it. Paul Bloom, Professor Paul Bloom, I guess, mm -hmm. from Psychology Yale Professor. University. Yeah. Yeah. Um, professor in psychology. Yeah. So, so what's your take, or any comment? What why did you want? Why did you want us to share it? So I think it was it resonated with me because it was similar to a discussion that we'd been having both 
here and even via email as well, I think. And it is talking about, well, there was a few points, let's say. The big one that stuck out to me was the fact that he mentioned that it, it wasn't the same. You know, he said, he said, it, he didn't say why it wasn't the same. And I think maybe that's one of the questions that that is quite interesting and would be interesting to explore. Another point he said was that, or another point he made was that it seems to be more egalitarian. And that's also something that I'd considered not only um, due, from, from the point of this coronavirus thing, but previously. I used to work in a, in a primary school in, in London for and it was quite a, it was in a very poor area and it was a lot of hard work and the kids sort of didn't always have learning on, on was, learning was not always the most important thing to them. They might've had serious issues at home, um, other challenges within the community. It might've been poverty, it might've been violence and things like this. Um, and teaching those children was very difficult. So, I always used to think that no matter how good teacher training becomes, you're never going to get good enough teachers um, or an ability for a teacher to be at the at their like peak level of performance for students with these types of problems or challenges, let's say, for an entire six years of primary school, for example. Now, the, and I used to think that the only way to solve this problem of not being able to meet the needs of students in these areas, and not only in inner city London, but anywhere in the world, even st students of, of wealthy families. When I was working in China, the students I worked with were very fortunate. And even working there, it's so teaching is such a difficult job. How do we get this sort of peak performance of a teacher to all the students and all of their um, meeting all of their learning needs, it's basically impossible. And therefore, what we need to do is, oh, therefore, what the 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 sort of only way we can reach that is using technology. And eventually, it means that it's kind of it's kind of a um, it might be a bit of an overkill, but I really think that the 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 end game for education is really this perfect artificial intelligence that is enabled that enables us to meet all of these needs and this is like a tiny step in that direction and the reason why we need an ai to provide all the learning to every student in the world is because it's more egalitarian and it's the only way we're going to be able to sort of reduce the amount of um inequality to access of 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 information access to good quality education. So that's kind of what resonated with me. And he's saying this from a university perspective, Yale being a fantastic university, and now kids at Yale, who, who are obviously incredibly talented and very likely very um, sort of privileged, let's say, they are also getting almost the exact same type of education as anybody just taking one of their Coursera courses, except for maybe the small group lectures. And that's the thing that was he was saying that wasn't actually working. Um, so 
there's a sort of start as to where my mind went when I sort of heard this little part of a, of a much longer conversation. But what is interesting is that he said uh, everybody hated it, meaning the lectures. So he didn't say the students dislike it. He actually said that we, meaning we lectures, really, really, really hated it. But then he said, but this could be some some kind of viable solution for higher education in the in the in the future. So he didn't say anything about students' uh, response. So so he was actually selling something that lecturers hated, uh, but that students might actually like. What do but you think, though? Well, I well I think that uh, this is a very good argument if we were talking about uh, shoes, clothes, books, in other words, products. But then the question is, is teaching a product or a service that you can provide? I will start from here, because if, if teaching is a product that you deliver to customers, students in this case, then I would say the yes. I mean, it, it would be great if everybody could uh, have access to the best products around the globe, which means, of course, Yale. Uh, so not Tartu, not uh, not uh, Riga Technical University, not uh, not the products made in other universities. So this would be the very first question: Is 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 teaching a product that you can sell, not a product, a service? Because you know, in business, they 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 make this distinction between service and product. Is is teaching? Obviously, teaching is not a product. Uh, although the video lecture can become a, a commodity, can become a product to sell on the market. And that's what they do, actually. Whereas we can make the argument that, well, but how about teaching as a service? This is less controversial, in a way. Or you can make the case that, well, teaching is a service. It's like healthcare, uh, the, 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 the healthcare system. It provides a service to patients suffering from very different diseases. So, so my question to you would be, is teaching a service that you can sell or that you can deliver? Well, so it's the same for everybody. I, I, think, it, I, I think if you think about Yale, actually, I think that is a product that you're selling. And it's not the teaching that is for sale. It's not the service. Yes, obviously, they have teaching that happens, but the teaching within the university is probably not the most valuable most valuable thing about that university. The most valuable thing about it is the fact that you went to Yale. It's on your it's on your CV. You meet the other people who went to Yale, who are probably most of them would be very very intelligent. And of course, the lecturers and, and, and things there are very talented and very intelligent. But I think maybe Tartu University isn't a product, but Yale University might be a product, just as other universities in the Ivy League or even Cambridge and Oxford might be products, more so than most other universities around the world. Okay, but then the question is, it seems that if you are there, if you are studying in Cambridge, Oxford, Yale, Harvard, uh, MIT, then teaching is not a service, uh, is not a product, but it's something that uh, changes uh, the way you are because it's an experience. 
Whereas for everybody else, it would be a product, it would be a service, it would be something that uh, uh, you get because uh, you basically make a purchase. Uh, it can also be given to you for free, but as a product or as, or as a service, you are not going through what we may call, uh, for lack of a better term, a service, uh, um, an experience, sorry. So it's something that you live through. That's why I'm talking about, uh, I'm using the word experience because it seems that what experience refers to is something you, that you live through. And it's holistic. It's the whole thing. Whereas, of course, if, uh, if, I, um, if I join a MOOC organized, uh, created by Yale, Harvard, uh, Oxford or Cambridge, then there is a particular mediation. I get it, I get access to that as a service or as a product, which could also be for free. I can download uh, PDF files, I can download uh, uh, ebooks, uh, but that's clearly a product. The same goes for what they would call a class or a course uh, or any other learning activities that they can uh, put up on the net and, uh, and that you can download. So I would say that uh, there will still be a big issue concerning uh, uh, equality because for me it's a service. Whereas uh, for those who are actually studying there is something way more, is, is, is something more like an experience or something that they experience, something that they live through. Doesn't it depend on the context as well? So if you are following the Yale University well, maybe Yale's not the best. I don't really know much about Yale, to be honest. So let's use MIT as an example of one of these higher, um, you know, top, top schools. If you're able to follow MIT specializes in, let's say, computer science, maybe the experience of following a computer science program from MIT, even online, so as a service, let's say, there is some for an individual who's doing that online, not at all attached to the university, if that's designed in a certain way that generates an experience that is of great value, you can imagine that also being the case. So, but it really depends on the individual, what their motivations are going into that course uh, and things like this. But I do think it's much more likely that you have valuable experiences when attending MIT than you would just following a Coursera MIT course. But it doesn't exclude you from having good experiences following it online. It's just less likely. Well, then the question is, uh, what is learning? Is it an experience? Is it a product that is particularly helpful for you to learn something? Uh, is it attending? a certain uh, situation or being in a certain situation? Is it being in a certain environment, in a certain niche? What is it then? What is learning? Because obviously even those who are going to uh, take one of these MOOCs at MIT, for example, they will certainly have an experience and this might be one of the best experience that, that a student could have. So I don't want to rule that out. But at the same time, the question is, 
when we talk about Yale in this case, in this particular context, we're talking about not something that provides an experience, but it's something that provides, I mean, that provides learning. It's just something providing one of the tools that a learner can use to have an experience. So it would be one of the components. Um, but how about the ecology of learning? Perhaps we should talk about the ecology of learning. Uh, so, which, which is basically something a little bit more than just the environment in which learning happens. Because if you think of uh, attending uh, a master program, for example, you have to consider your peers, your friends, the professors, the meetings with the professors, uh, the, 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 the environment. Okay, so you're going to get a room in the dormitory, you can walk to the campus, uh, you can go to the library, you can spend time in the library with your, with your friends or with your colleagues. And this is the ecology of learning. Now, what, is, what, what would be the ecology of learning in the MOOC context? It would be you, your computer, and that's it. Not necessarily. Not if you're able to organize your own learning environment around it. Exactly, but then, but then, as I said before, the MOOC would be just one of the many tools that you could use or that you are actually using. I mean, I'm using YouTube a lot to learn uh, things not necessarily related to my work, and but this is just a component. I would never say that YouTube teaches me. I would never say that. I would say that there is a, a strong component of self-directed learning or autodidactism, meaning that I'm teaching myself and I grab whatever around me that could help me do so. But then the question is, what is, what is, what is, the, what is it that teaches me? Is it the MOOC that I can find uh, at, uh, at, uh, at MIT, uh, Coursera, whatever, whatever platform you're using? No, this is just one of the many components. So we cannot, we cannot emphasize uh, 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 the 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 impact uh, that uh, that just one of the tools in your toolbox actually has. So this this will be my 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 main argument against to what uh, to what the lecturer was saying to what the psychology professor was saying. You could not take that MOOC out of that toolbox and no. necessarily learn anything. But you I could take out other areas from that toolbox, such as collaborative experiences with, um, you know, casual encounters you, yeah. you have online in the comments box. So it is fundamental to the, to the learning. It could be. It could be. It could be. It could be. But I, t I can take a MOOC and then I can uh, rely on my own social network, for example. I may create it. I may sustain it because of the MOOC. I can meet new people, but I can also meet new people in 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 uh, using any other kind of tool. I can also write a private message to those people who have left a very interesting comment uh, in the in a, in a uh, to to a YouTube video, for example. So, in a sense, the MOOC is just the course. So that's that's all it really is. It's this tiny this tiny artifact of a much bigger picture, the same way if you do a Bachelor of Arts in Film Studies, you have these individual lessons where you learn about world cinema, you learn about the 
system of Hollywood in, in the 40s or whatever, in the 30s. And so you have these individual classes, but that's not really the university experience, those individual classes on their own. It's a much broader experience where you have conversations in the hallway waiting for your lecture. You share certain film ideas that you might have beforehand and afterwards which don't make it into an essay because that's not the essay question that you've been given but you do generate these ideas and you do strengthen them and debate them so i guess your your point is that the MOOC is a very small part of what we want to call learning as an experience and it is is it even that if we look at a MOOC it's more commodified it is more sort of packaged and neat and, and what is the more interesting thing is that we want that bigger, the bigger package. And is it necessary? Well, I guess it's not necessary that we get that bigger package from a organized institution. I think we, we agree there. So is that the answer to what's different then? Well, what's not the same? So he mentions that the online courses are not the same, and that's obvious. Okay, you're not in person. There's so many, there's so many small and big differences between an in-person lecture and a web webinar. But is that the main thing? Is it is it because you're really just accessing the commodified component of the learning experience, and you don't have any additional sort of access? Well, I would say. I want to backtrack a little bit. Um, I want to go back to this issue of, of, of the experience or the ecology, because the whole package, as you called it, what is it? Is it the ecology? Can we use this word ecology, the ecology of learning? And, and then the, the, the next question will be, what is it? What is this ecology? Is it the context in which learning happens that, that that allows you to experience something. So it's because there is a context. Uh, it's because uh, things are highly integrated into some kind of ecology that then you can experience certain things. You can experience the course. You can experience uh, the the uh, uh, chance conversation that you can have in the hallway. Uh, it's it's the library. Okay, it's it's studying in the library. It's studying in your little room in the dormitory. Okay. If, if, first of all, we need to understand what this is, and then, and then we can move on and see the tools that we can have, because I would say that a MOOC is a tool. It's, it's, it's basically like a book. I was interviewed a, a couple of months ago about MOOCs, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and one thought that came to mind was, hey, but wait a second, but a MOOC is basically like a book, so my own, because I was asked during the interview, would you... Would you make a MOOC? Make, not take. Would you Would you produce a MOOC? And then I would say, and then I and then I replied that uh, I could do it, uh, and probably uh, I would feel that it would be like uh, writing a book, but with different tools. So if I want to convey a certain message, if I want a certain message to get across, I could actually use this format instead of the format of a book or an article, a blog. And so we go back again to, to a very important question, which is the question about the ecology of learning, what, what we may call 
ecology of learning, everything that creates the context in which we take the MOOC, we have the conversation in the library, we meet friends, we discuss with those friends that, that are interested in the same topic and so on and on and on. And what, uh, what the web did uh, and what this computer revolution did was to give, to give us tools that actually or, or, or that eventually may actually change part of this ecology of learning, the context, provided uh, that we accept them, provided uh, that we understand how to integrate them into our own uh, learning and teaching practices. But, 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 I still, but, but I really want to stress this issue. We're talking about the context uh, of learning, whereas uh, the psychology professor was talking about one of the tools that we can use, which may eventually affect the way in which the ecology is organized or the, the way in which the context can be organized. Because obviously, if, uh, I mean, at the present moment, people are not going to the university. So they may take a MOOC or they may uh, uh, do these online things that, that the professors uh, um, hated. This, of course, has an effect on the ecology of learning, on the context. But of course, it's just it's it's just one of the many dynamics that that are that are happening. Well, it's very complex, I guess. The actual ecology of learning, let's say, and. But is this word? Let's start. Let's let's start from this very question. Is this word something that could be helpful for us, or should we use the word context? Because remember that we need a context or a background in need to see in order to see something on the foreground. So this is. So a I very think ecology, ecology works, and context is one part of the ecology. Would you agree? Yeah. Is context nested within ecology? Yeah, it's actually nested, yes. Yes. And the technology is nested within the ecology. Yes, exactly. And then the application of the technology is nested within the ecology, which, for example, is a MOOC. For example. Because the MOOC itself is nested within TCPIP or internet, exactly. broadband, yeah. video recording, all of these combined technologies the MOOC itself is a technology thanks to I mean even even MOOCs vary within themselves about the type of learning analytics that they that they might implement yeah and that's the problem because uh, it seems that this professor adopted a quite reductionist way because he just mistook uh, the context uh, or the college in this case for one of the parts of this ecology, which can actually be a very important one, especially in this period, it's very important. It determines, it, it really affects the way in which the ecology can be experienced or the context. Well, now I'm just, I'm just a little bit lost, but anyway, you know what I mean. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of reductionist approach, which, we, which is exactly the one that we have in, in mainstream educational technology. So that's why we keep talking about the tools that we have and not how they can be integrated into the institution, into the context of learning and teaching, into this uh, broader ecology or, or the niche of learning. I don't know how to call it. The system. This is another word, the system. The system within which we operate, we exchange, 
we learn, we teach. Again, I would say the system would be nested within ecology. So ecology really is where everything lives within. Yeah. And it's the system that is the thing that really holds us back from innovation, which prevents us from maybe thinking outside of the box or encourages us to think encourages us to think outside the box when it comes to dealing with teaching and learning in the times of lockdown or isolation or, or, or whatever you're in. It really is. It really is. It's the system that holds us back, that's for sure. At least when it comes to experimenting new ways of doing the very same thing, which is teaching and learning. I, I do not think it's possible for us to expect the system to allow for or be um, to be flexible enough to adapt to such changes so rapidly that it was required to adapt to because it is so rigid for a good reason because it despite what people say about education it's working relatively well despite all of the crappy lessons that people were taught went through primary school and high school think about how our parents went to what they did at school my my parents were taught by nuns who would throw things at them when they got mathematics questions wrong it okay maybe they didn't re reach their their absolute peak of performance in terms of academics and critical thinking and mathematics and biology but this generation are still the ones who sent, or even the prior generation sent men to the moon, invented things like the internet and digital photography and all of these things. So well, because we are because we are very resilient, this could be one argument. But then the other argument is that uh, this COVID nineteen has uh, disrupted the whole education system, and that's why we're having this podcast. Yeah. And is anybody surprised that it's... Okay, how about... I am surprised that the education system has reacted so well. It's kind of like... I don't really know if it has or has not reacted well, I guess, is the other thing. But people are giving courses online now, and they've just, they're just doing it. And... I guess maybe another thing is we'll we'll get to the end of it and exam results will be oh actually we don't really need these exam results at the end of A levels or when our students turn 17 or 18 you know maybe maybe these changes will happen um, despite the fact that the system originally thought that that was impossible the system thinks that we really need a way to measure these students with numbers that we are divisible by 100. Otherwise, how are we going to accept people into university courses? And I know that's not everywhere, but I guess it's most places run that way. So I think maybe the interesting conversation really will happen when we start to see what the outcome of all of this is. Because at the moment, nobody really knows. It's just like a summer. It's like the summer holiday came early. Absolutely. Because it's only been 
what is it? It's yeah, the twenty second. Twenty second of April. Of yeah. April. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what the professor said because he said, "What's his name? I forgot his name." Paul Bloom. Okay, Paul Bloom said, uh, "Having tested it, some people may actually be tempted uh, to integrate some of those solutions that they have experienced yeah. into their own regular or normal or traditional teaching teaching practice." Which is actually what what I've been doing since basically 2017. You know, I was given this chance because some constraints were relaxed, uh, were loosened up, and then I said, okay, let's 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 give it a try. And even when now I actually have normal courses, uh, I know that I have that that my toolbox has been enriched. So I have uh, several other weapons that I can use in order to teach my students. So this this is a possible outcome, but the possible outcome is also that people would say this was a, a nightmare. So let's let's ditch it. Let's forget about this. Another argument is that what we are experiencing now is just an experiment. Uh, it's just a sort of period of trial and error. So what we're actually experiencing now, it's not the thing that we used to call before COVID nineteen online education or online teaching which I think is a good, uh, is a way, I mean, it's it's probably a good way to look at it. However, this is also the experience that basically 99% of teachers are having at the moment, teachers and lecturers, because there were very few people who, ha who actually had online courses or MOOCs, very few people, whereas now everybody had at least the chance or the opportunity to have a, a webinar, an online lecture and so on and so forth. So so yes, yeah, so we we actually have this experience and it's going to be probably harder and harder to bullshit about it. Because now everybody has an opinion about it. Whereas before COVID-19, let's say only a small fraction of of lecturers and teachers could say, well, I had this experience and I can tell you something about it. Mm. I, I would be interested to see, yeah, really what learning outcomes look like after all of this from primary school to secondary school to university to professional learning and also if not only learning outcomes, also learner perception, teacher perception because it's kind of like this weird unethical experiment we're all putting on each other. Absolutely, absolutely. I would say so. I would say so. Completely unethical because we are forced into this situation. It would be great to know that there is somebody out there who's actually conducting some rigorous research ar ar around it. I, 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 there must be some ingenious people who've, who've designed some experiment to, to shed some light on what we've been talking about. Because I think that yeah. Yeah, the problem it'll, is that it'll be interesting. Yeah, but the problem is that this has not been designed. I mean, all courses, especially at the uni, uh these were courses originally designed uh, for a particular type of format, which is the traditional format with contact hours and so on and so forth, which at some point has been disrupted uh, and therefore the teacher or the lecturer in this case had to change in due course the format of the course. 
So I've been I've been talking to my wife, who is a lecturer, who is a university lecturer, and we were we were having this conversation this very morning, and uh, I was suggesting her to use uh, forum conversations because this could be helpful. But she told me, but I didn't design this course this way. I didn't. I mean, all all my mm. materials uh, were designed for this uh, traditional type of course. So I cannot change it in due course because I should change. I should start over again, which is not possible. So, so I would say that it's more like a kind of laboratory for for uh, for new ideas. I would say. I would say that this is just a laboratory, like 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 an experiment, but in the in the very sense of the word, meaning that you try out new things without uh, a specific objective in mind. Because at the moment, it's just an emergency. This is another key word. At the moment, emergency. Everything that we're doing is to face uh, an emergency. The thing is, how uh, I mean, how long it will last, we don't know. That's why, at some point, the institution should make certain decisions. And uh, and and this goes back to the to the topic that we were discussing, I think, on the first uh, on the first episode of this podcast. What are we going to do with all these international master programs? Not now, but in September when the new academic year will start. In that case, I think that the ability of the institution to bounce back, uh, in other words, its resilience, will be drastically impaired because I don't think that we can continue uh, uh, as if the situation is an emergency. Because in September, the situation will be... I mean, we need to find some kind of viable, stable uh, option which might actually last uh, the entire academic year. And I'm talking about the next year, not this year. Because, as you said, today is the 22nd of April. It's been four weeks uh, since all this shit started. And, uh, but in, uh, in, uh, in a month or so, it's over. Everything is over. Very easy. But how about September? Let's say that today is actually the... It's it's the twenty second twenty second of August, and in one week the new academic year starts. What are we going to do? Are we going to do the same thing, acting as if it's still an emergency, which clearly it's not. When 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 mm. it's clearly not an emergency, because an emergency means uh, that uh, what we are experiencing is temporary, and we are just putting a patch. So obviously the results are not so good and they cannot be com compared to what we used to have because it's an emergency. An emergency means like uh, we don't have water, uh, we, don't, uh, we cannot use the stove so we cannot cook anything or we don't have the oven. Uh, it cannot last forever. We should adapt somehow or find some sort of adaptations that would allow us uh, to have a long-term plan somehow. Not just a... So I'm not just talking about what we're going to do in one month, but what we're going to do in six months, which is already a long-term perspective. If if I'm a student and I'm paying, in some countries, extortionate, extortionate amount of money, I do not want a repeat of whatever my professor who taught for 20 years Introduction to Psychology 101 when they had seminars in person and lectures in person, I would be pissed off if I got the exact same thing, but in Moodle, copy-paste. And then I'm what, spending... Some places 
costs forty thousand US dollars a year to to learn this stuff. I I guarantee you some universities are going to do that. Yeah, they're going to do this. They're going to do this. But imagine to be locked up in your room, locked down in your room for for eight hours per day, watching videos, <laughs> doing online quizzes. I mean, would you? <laughs> Would you call this education? I'm not so sure. Of course now it's okay. Of course now it's okay. And I actually told you before we started this that today I'm I'm fed up with everything. And it's been only one we uh, one uh, one month roughly so. Imagine the perspective to have this for the entire year without meeting your friends without I mean <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So the question maybe I don't know maybe it's not the um I think for some people that wouldn't be an issue. I think some people have anxiety going to class. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know I know I know people who would rather yeah. that. If you one comment I've heard from parents who are doing their homeschooling they're like I get 2 hours worth of work for my kids to do and then they're finished after 2 hours. And people have started to realise that schools are also babysitting programs yeah, for are. the industrial, if for post-industrial society. You know, it's like the nine to five jobs that parents have need to match somewhat to what Absolutely. kids do at school, which is why there's a nine to three thirty, nine to Absolutely. three Absolutely. school day. But this was an argument that that is already around, that has been already around, that essentially schooling is a form of babysitting. They st- students could do everything in I don't know in two or three hours per day, and then and then be free to do whatever they want. But the problem is that their parents are working, and therefore they need to have a babysitter. And socializing is important. And socializing, like yeah, well. doing some Obviously sports. Obviously, there's these other aspects. Yeah, but is it any different for universities? Well, I think that it's different because the university is not a school. We don't have the same schooling system although they have been introduced in many measures that are quite close to what schooling is. But it's not certainly a babysitter. I mean, I've never felt that I was a, I was babysitting our students. And in most of cases, they're also working, at least uh, here in Estonia, but also in other places. Um, so, so, so it's different. That's why, that's why the very question is, would you actually start either... A a bachelor or a master program in September. Would you do that or would you say, no, I'm not going to do it. I will wait. Now, if you wait, uh, then there will be uh, a big issue uh, for, for, for those w- universities that are actually run like company. And, uh, and, uh, and, and in some cases, also public universities have been, uh, I mean, have, uh, are, are run as companies. Therefore, they they get man they get money depending on the number of students they get, and this is one of I mean, at the University of Tartu we get money depending on the number of students, and if you don't have enough students, certain courses are not even open. So this is the question: Are we going to see the number of students dropping dramatically? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I mean, I think so. But what's I mean, what's the other option for the students? Uh, I have no idea, but I would say that if you are if you are at home and if you have to stay at home and if you don't have a job, uh, I mean this. Th- I mean, what what uh, what else do you have? 
what else do you have? I wouldn't start. I, I wouldn't start learning. I, I mean, in the in the in the in the university context, I would I don't know start learning how to play the guitar. I think the majority of people. I don't know if it's the majority, but some proportion of people do university courses because they want to have that in their life toolbox in order to get a job and the job allows them to live a, live a nice life so i don't think there's students sitting there thinking oh my experience of university will my, the ecology is not going to be quite no, right of course in order not. to <laughs> you know i think they're just gonna okay i plan to well what normally happens when we finish high school is we either take a year off and we go traveling we are sick of academics we're going to go and get a job and we're going to work in yeah but you can always take an academic leave this is an option for you you can take an academic leave you see uh, i mean no no i've experienced something last year which i didn't like it was horrible therefore this year i'm going to take an academic leave or i plan to do a master but i'm not going to do it because i see that at the moment the university is not ready to give me something that is valuable but if what they if what they deem valuable is a certificate at the end of the four years that says you have you have a bachelor you have a master, then the fact that they don't have to go to university, they might even be thinking, oh, there's probably going to be lower quality. Who um, cares? Control yeah. as well. Yeah. Who cares? I think I think I think the majority of university students are there to, not for learning's sake, they're there for the bit of paper so as long as they get a paper they don't care about anything else because because that's the only motivation i don't i mean well this is not not that they don't care about yeah. anything else but the the the, the other the option yeah. the other option is sitting at home and not being able to leave your house anyway it's not like there's it's not like they're able to go travel or able to go to the bar or able to that's the thing there's it actually seems like the perfect time for learning. It's just the learning is not optimized. Well, I think that the I mean there is an alternative, and the alternative would be to take some time off during the summer break, and to start rethinking how we can uh, give to students something that is still <clears throat> viable, something that could be decent enough for them to do. Because I would certainly agree with you. I mean, I would concur with you that well, this is a perfect time for learning. I totally agree with you. I'm 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 learning how to use Resolve because I have uh, I have a bit of time. We're not going anywhere, so this is a perfect time for me to 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 learn how to use this piece of software, which is very complicated. But apart from the fact that I'm I'm not talking about taking a master. I mean, it's learning something particular, something that I that 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 is very interesting for me. Blah 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 blah. We're talking about a master's program. I mean, I don't know. But but the alternative, which is not the alternative for students, but for, 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 for university managers, university, uh, yeah, university managers, uh, program directors, would be, well, let's try to provide something in an online format, which is... Something meaningful. Yeah, something meaningful, something that is designed this way. So, so... Uh, so it's not that I just because the other I mean we've been talking about this online lecturing, but in most of cases students just get a PDF to read and then and some kind of assignment 
which is even worse, which is even worse. So, so students are actually <coughs> asked to do so many things on their own, which which might not be so 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 meaningful. But if we could somehow uh, recruit all these technologies that we have to do something more meaningful, maybe maybe we would we we would give them the chance to have a good experience. <coughs> I think it's it, it, we actually universities need to offer this if they are going to be able to say to themselves in the mission state if you take a look at any of the mission statements of the university any of the vision you know they've, they've had their they've had their managing consultants come in they've spoken to the director of the university the um, the dean or whatever and they say, okay we've got to get a solid mission statement we have to have a solid vision and I guarantee that a lot of the, like that a majority of those will be talking about bringing out the full potential of their students and innovative learning strategies and preparing our students for the future if they were to look at that mission statement and the vision and if they want to be able to say yes we met that then they're not going to be able to deliver the same course yeah. that they delivered this year in September because what if if that's possible why on earth were they delivering that course in that way in the first place because person to person education is no way going to be optimized for both that and for online education yeah yeah, yeah. and they have to be universities will have to be held accountable but it's also like it's bloody hard as well like how are people going to do this when are the lecturers going to have time to adapt the courses what technologies are the best ones to use? Is the infrastructure there? Yeah, but then, the I, yeah, but what there? what would be the alternative? So we go back again to the same question: we either try to transform the institution, at least for the next year, to have this sort of uh, uh, big exp I mean, another big experiment, because this time we know exactly what is going to happen in September. First of all, we may have uh, what they call a second wave which can be yeah. even more deadly than the first one. It's it's a possibility. So at the moment, we also have to take that into consideration. It's one of the possible scenarios, which means that, of course, it's not just about the first semester, but also the second semester. So one option is, guys, we close. So next mm. year, nothing. Nothing will happen. Yeah. Which, of course, it's impossible. It's also taboo in the current society, so we can't do that. And I'm talking about the university system now. We're not I'm not talking about schools. Um, or the other option is that we do something in summer. But then, but then we should uh, definitely try to to change something. And and I'm gonna have actually tomorrow a meeting with the with the pro rector. Um, all the program directors will have uh, will have a meeting with this uh, with the, with this uh, high-ranked uh, colleague, and and I'm very curious to see what 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 the strategy of the uni is. My strategy would be now let's close everything now, which is uh, I mean we can close it at the beginning of May, and then we use this time in order to see what kind of viable solution we could uh, we could have, starting from September, which also may include. Uh, uh, or may imply that certain programs are temporarily ma uh, merged, so that, for example, we can uh, we can do a bit of co-teaching, 
to help each other, for example. Mm. Um, uh, but but anyway, I mean, we need to have an alternative, which is not this uh, emergent uh, this 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 patch that we put at the moment, because it's really a patch. I mean, we need a, a new pair of uh, pair of pants. <laughs> And I think pro professional development is vital to the whole story. And there's no yeah, other. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and and another key word is the learning organization. We need to become a learning organization, which implies the organization itself, the model that that substantiates the way in which we organize uh, our activities may change. So so that the organization can learn. Uh, from past experiences in order to meet uh, the challenges ahead. At the moment, if there is one thing that doesn't want to learn, one, one, one agent that doesn't want to work, uh, that, that doesn't want to learn is the organization. So we have to change. Lecturers and teachers need to change in order for the organization not to change anything. So we keep doing the same thing, but we're using Zoom or we're using Moodle or we're, we're using something. Whereas actually we should start precisely from, 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 from the top, including, for example, how we calculate our workload, because this is a big, big, big deal. <laughs> how you calculate your workload in a situation in which you have not two options, uh, lectures uh, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, assignments for students, but you have online lecture, video lecture, forum conversation, chat conversation, uh, you name it. Yeah. I'm just thinking that at the end of it all, they'll give out the regular student satisfaction survey, they'll give out the final exams, and the satisfaction survey doesn't change, and the exam results don't <laughs> change. And what do, what do we learn? We learn that it doesn't matter no. what you do. Well, because we adapt, and this is the interesting thing. We're not machines, so, so we constantly adapt. We are resilient, so, uh, so, so we try to make things uh, uh, work. And, uh, and when we do, it's okay. But, but of course, here, here's another word, is overcompensation. We are all overcompensated. Overcompensation is, is is what makes us human, which is another way to say that we uh, that that we adapt. We are overcompensating, and we're over time as well. Yes, exactly. It's been already fifty. Well, one hour. This is a new record. Yeah, fascinating as always. Yeah, it's always. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, fair enough for today. Enough. <laughs>